Welcome to NBA Talk with Isaac Wolf. I am your host, Isaac Wolf. And yes, I know this is an NBA podcast, but we can include some other things to make it a little bit more entertaining, right? Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and Amari Cooper all wanted to get paid by the Cowboys, but they ended up paying Jalen Smith instead. I don't know, I found that like really funny because they didn't give any of their main offensive guys the big money. They gave their big defensive guy, linebacker, the money. I did hear that the Cowboys offered Elliott a contract that would make him the second highest paid running back in the league behind Todd Gurley, which would be somewhere around $14 million a year. I would say just take the money, Zeke. It would be a win for you because when you get when you went into this holdout, People were saying that you weren't going to get paid until next year at the earliest, and you already have an offer now. It's a pay bump, and you can get to your third contract a year earlier and potentially get a bigger chunk of money sooner. And yes, we will be talking about Team USA tomorrow. Let's start off today by talking about the Denver Nuggets. They have become the NBA's forgotten contender. There is a lot of noise surrounding the LA teams, the Rockets, the Jazz, and even the Warriors still. They all made big moves this offseason, which made them the headline favorites to compete for a title. Headline favorites. The Nuggets didn't do that. The biggest thing they did this offseason was draft Bulbul in the second round. They kept almost their entire team, and I think may be ready to compete this year, at least for the conference finals. This team was the number two seed in the West last year. Being relatively young, they had a lot of guys who had never made the playoffs. Paul Millsap, of course, had made the playoffs a ton and had a ton of playoff experiences days with the Hawks, but this team really didn't have it quite figured out last season. They played well in the regular season, but they just did not have that experience when it came to the playoffs. But this year, don't sleep on the Denver Nuggets. I think they will be the two-seed again behind the Clippers. In fact, they may be number one for a while because it'll take some time for these new duos to get it figured out. Kawhi PG, Russ and Harden, LeBron AD and that whole new Lakers team, Mike Conley joining Utah, D'Lo will have to adjust in Golden State. So a lot of teams might not get off on the right foot. Meanwhile, Denver's just going to take off. This Nuggets team had a solid playoff run last year and it gave them a lot of experience and things to learn for next season. They had two game sevens, which that's huge for them. And even though they won one, lost the other, it's still great in terms of experience and knowing what to do in the future. I think this team is primed to make a deep playoff run this year with a potential MVP candidate leading the way. Nikola Jokic is coming off the best season of his career. He averaged 20 points, 10 rebounds, and 7 assists per game. And he is the center, literally and figuratively, of that Denver Nuggets offense. Which, by the way, could be the best in the NBA this season. And here's why. If Jamal Murray improves his playmaking ability and isn't all about his scoring. If they can get Gary Harris and somebody else on the wing to handle the ball well, which Harris already does at a solid clip. If the spacing around Jokic increases even more, all those things will completely diversify Denver's already diverse offense. Which they already run at a high level. Very high-level offense there. It could be a lethal weapon on teams next season. But anyway, Jokic, all he has to do is really perform like he did last year. And if he takes a step forward, adds more to his game, then great. It's game over. I mean, you can barely stop the man as it is. 
But Jamal Murray really broke out last year. Averaged a career height 18 points per game during the regular season, put up 21 a game in the postseason, where he really showed he could take over in clutch situations, sometimes even carrying the team on his back offensively. And he really became a true second scoring option for the Nuggets. Gary Harris seemingly took a step back last year, but that was due in the majority to injuries. Harris missed 25 games last season, dropped his scoring average from 17 points per game to a little under 13, so a little bit of a regress, regress there. But Harris is a great two-way wing, and if he can stay healthy, which has to be a goal of his this season, then he can make a big, big jump. The Nuggets bench, too, is phenomenal. Not a bunch of big-name guys that you'll hear about, but Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Will Barton, Mason Plumlee, Torrey Craig. Those are all guys that can make a big impact coming off the bench. And do not forget about Michael Porter Jr. 14th pick in the 2018 draft was thought to be a top-two pick, maybe even the number one overall pick coming out of high school until he had those two back surgeries, and we have not seen him play since. He was going to play in the Summer League, but sprained his ankle in what I think was the final minutes of the final scrimmage before the Summer League began for the Nuggets. So they shut him down for the entire Summer League, which was smart. No reason to risk anything more than what was already risked by playing him in scrimmages. But if he can get back into it and be what he was projected to be coming out of high school, maybe not immediately, but that could be a very scary on an already loaded Denver Nuggets basketball team. Another question is Bull Bull. We don't really know what his role will be yet. I don't expect him to play much, if at all, early on. Maybe give him some time in the G League to start, get comfortable on the floor. And once he's ready, remember, this was a top five. Another top five projected pick coming out of high school until the foot injury kept him from playing more than nine games last season at Oregon. There are questions about his motor, too, but I have faith in Bull Bull. It's kind of fun to say. You can say it in, like, a bunch of different ways. Bull Bull. Bull Bull, Bull Bull. <laughs> Sorry. But I have faith in Bull Bull, and I think that once he gets comfortable, he will be just fine. So anyway, all those pieces, the majority of them having success together last year and really growing up and learning together, are back for another round. People just don't know about it. But once the season starts, they will be off and running and put the whole league on notice. A significant free agent move happened for the first time in what seems like forever. Dwight Howard will be joining the Lakers, however it is a non-guaranteed deal. He will sign with them after his Grizzlies buyout is official. Obviously, the Lakers needed somebody else once to, once Cousins went down. They obviously needed another big man. JaVale McGee can't be the only guy. So they worked out Dwight Howard and Joakim Noah, I believe. Mo Spates, Maurice Spates. And um, Margin Gortat were the other two that were in consideration, but they ended up signing Dwight Howard. Tyron Lue is now an assistant coach on Doc Rivers' staff with the Clippers. That just makes the Clippers even more dangerous. A champion head coach who coached, sort of, LeBron James to a title. And now... He's joining that loaded Clippers team that's just great in every single area of that organization. Good, good move. Good move. Team USA named its captains. Sort of. 
There were reports that Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, and Donovan Mitchell were named team captains, but according to Mark Stein of the New York Times, Greg Popovich will have those three lead the team without giving them formalized captaincies. Kyle Kuzma, due to an ankle injury, was named was was actually cut. He was the final cut. The 12-man roster, 12-man roster has been set. Kyle Kuzma is the last cut because of an injury. I bet if he didn't have the injury, he'd still be on the roster. But The NBA Rookie Survey came out on Monday. Zion Williamson got the majority of votes for Rookie of the Year at 35%. Ja Morant was not much behind Zion as he got 27% of the votes. Cam Reddish got the majority votes for the best career. Let me evaluate on this just a little bit. Not much. But Cam Reddish? Yes. I believe he was the number three prospect coming out of high school. But he really struggled at Duke. I mean, he's a good player. But behind Zion and RJ, he didn't get... He didn't get any publicity, really. All the, all the spotlight was on Barrett and Zion. And now these people are thinking that he's going to have a better NBA career when Zion's on his own in New Orleans? Sort of. He's got Drew Holiday with him. And a good team around him. They think he's going to have a better career than Sean Morant, who's pairing up with Jaron Jackson in Memphis. And even R.J. Barrett, I think, can have a better career in New York. He's probably going to be like a high-volume scorer, be the focal point of their offense. But Cam Reddish? I mean, come on. Bull Bull was named the biggest steal. Bull Bull. Bull Bull. That I wholeheartedly agree with. Zion got the most athletic. No discussion needed there. Best shooter went to Tyler Hero. Best defender went to Matisse Thibel. DeAndre Hunter, I think, has an argument against that, but... Thibault is certainly an A-plus defender. He'll be shutting down people right from the get-go. Best playmaker was named John Morant. Biggest adjustment in terms from college to the NBA was the speed of the game, which I hear players say all the time, that the speed of the game is different from the college game. So that doesn't surprise me. The most important skill that needs to be developed was voted as shooting. In this draft class, that certainly makes sense. Two top three picks in this draft, R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson, both aren't the most efficient shooters right now. R.J. certainly has more of a jump shot than Williamson, but Zion needs to not rely on just his athleticism, because that will, like, kill his knees. He's got to shoot more, and he's got to shoot better. He did shoot 33% at Duke, but it was limited attempts, and he was not taking deep threes. He was right there on the line for most of them, the college line, and the NBA line is a few feet back. So that will be an adjustment for Zion going forward. And that is definitely an area of need for incoming guys who want to make an immediate impact. Look, we saw two shooters, Tyler Hero and Cam Johnson, get drafted higher than expected, mostly because of their ability to shoot. So teams these days are looking for shooters. And that is the area that was felt that it was needed to improve most. Let's talk about Daryl Morey. He said that James Harden, is a better scorer than Michael Jordan. Based on, if you give a guy the ball, how much does his team score after you give him the ball before the other team gets the ball? Let me repeat that a little bit slower so you can understand. If you give a guy the ball, if you give James Harden the ball, how much does his team score? How much do the Rockets score? After you give him the ball, before the opposing team gets the ball. 
which he said is, quote, how you should measure offense. And he said that James Harden is by far number one in NBA history. And apparently he was even number one on that list in his days with OKC. Morey said that, quote, he was coming off the bench. It was a little bit more hidden. But it is a fact. James Harden averaged a career high 36 points per game last season. And I thought he should have won the MVP. Because first of all, he put up better numbers, okay? 36-6-7. and 70. He's the only player not named Will Chamberlain and Michael Jordan to average at least 36 points per game across an entire season. Harden led the league in three major statistical categories while and finished second in another, while Giannis didn't lead any. Oh, and by the way, did you see Giannis put up 30 points in 32 straight games? No. No. The Rockets won th- 21 of those 32 games. They were 39-15 and 15 when James Harden put up at least 30. So his scoring translates to wins. It's not like Devin Booker where he puts up 70 and still loses or puts up 50 in three straight games and lose the, and they lose all of them. And if traditional stats aren't enough for you, the advanced analytics are in Harden's favor as well. Yes, Harden is more, he is in more of a, an advanced analytics focused system in Houston. Milwaukee is certainly different in their style of play, but Harden led the league in offensive and total win shares. Giannis finished third in both. But what I'm trying to say is, numbers don't lie. Harden's numbers don't lie, and they're better than Giannis's. And people's argument for Giannis is, oh, his team did better. They won more games in the regular season. I don't care. I don't care. This is about the player, not the team. Most valuable player. Player. Not the best player on the best team. If you take James Harden off the Houston Rockets, they are an awful basketball team. I hate to say that. But if you take Giannis off the Bucks, they are certainly a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. Now, some of that has to do with the fact that it's East versus West. I don't think the Rockets would make the playoffs if James Harden wasn't on the team. But what about Chris Paul, you may ask? Well, here you go. Chris Paul by himself is not leading a team to the playoffs. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what is around him. If he's their best player, he's not what he was. He's not getting a team to the playoffs. This man is old and on the verge of being washed up. I hate to say that. My man is a top five point guard all time. But what has he ever done in the playoffs? Most notable thing he did was get injured in the conference finals against the Warriors a few years ago. Blew the Rockets' chance at the title. Because they were going to handle the Cleveland Cavaliers had they gotten out of the West. Anyway, the other side of the argument is that Giannis beat Harden in defensive win shares. Which we all know, defense is not Harden's strength. Giannis gets it done at both ends. At an elite level, and that's probably another reason he won. But Harden can play on the defensive side, too. He can play ball on the defensive side. He was in the 90th percentile for post-defense. Second in the league in total steals. Behind Paul George, another MVP candidate, who is a terrific two-way player. And he was tied for second in the league in blocks among guards. Unless you want to consider Kelly Oubre a guard, but I think he's more of a small forward. Ben Simmons was number one, but guess what? He's 6'10". So basically, he was tied for first. He was tied with Bradley Beal, by the way. But the point is, Harden plays more defense than you think, and that should be taken into consideration as well. Look at the numbers! Anyway, back to the Harden-Jordan thing. It might not be fair to compare the two because they played in such different times. The bad boys that beat up, sort of, not really, beat up Jordan would never be allowed in the NBA these days. I get the feeling. 
If prime Michael Jordan were to play in this era right now, 2019-2020 season, he would average 40 points a game at least. At least. Maybe even 45. He averaged 30 in his sleep against way tougher defenses back in the 80s and the 90s. And I love James Harden. He's my favorite player. The Rockets are my favorite team. But I'm not quite sold on the idea that Harden is a better scorer than Jordan. It's just hard to compare the two when they played in completely different times. To wrap up today, this day in NBA history, the Redeem team beat Spain 118-107 to bring the gold back to U.S. basketball after a disappointing bronze medal during the 2004 Olympics. That team had Kobe, LeBron, Wade, and more. Happy birthday to Tyler Ennis, Noah Vonley, and NBA legend Reggie Miller. We will be back tomorrow with another podcast.